Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. You're listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. Susan Wood is an American photographer most notable for her photography on location of the 1969 film Easy Rider, starring Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper, and for her celebrity portraits including John Lennon, Yoko Ono, Andy Warhol, John Wayne and Betty Friedan. Wood's work has spanned 50 years for magazines like Look, Vogue, Esquire and New York magazine, documenting the tastes and looks of the times. And as she tells our co-producer Jennifer Ryan in this podcast, she is still taking photographs, learning new things about photography and getting to grips with digital SLR. Wood was in Dublin recently to launch her latest book. It's called simply Ireland, which features photographs she's taken here over the years from her various trips to see her friend Gareth Brown in Lugla, to traveller horse fairs in the Midlands, to the home of the Gingerman author J.P. Dunleavy. On today's episode, Wood speaks to Jennifer about that book, about her many trips to Ireland and her two Irish husbands. She also shares some stories from her truly incredible life and career. So, Susan Wood, the first question I'd like to ask you is, when did you first pick up a camera? Uh, I probably first picked up a camera beyond just trying it out. was on a trip to Europe with my parents, a grand tour in, uh, I think it was 1950. How old were you? I, 50, I, w- I, was, I, was, um, I was 16 going on 17 That's and about to go to, to college. I was a little ahead of myself. So I was just finished high school and had won some money in some art competitions that I had entered at the end of high school. And uh, I had this lump of money that I could spend on something. And when my parents took me and my sister on this grand tour, we were in Germany. I'd already had some experience with an Argoflex, an earlier camera that I had bought but hardly ever used. That trip, I began to really use it and wanted to have a different kind of camera, something that would be what my eye sees directly, not looking down into it. And so that was my big purchase of the trip was a a Leica camera. A Leica, very nice. And lots of... uh Oh, it was early 50s, I think. Yeah, lots of things to photograph while on a trip of Europe. Yes, exactly. Festivals, carnivals, people, ordinary things, streets, street scenes, buildings. And I I had a a lot of art training. I went to the High School of Music and Art and uh, uh, was exposed to a lot of art in my life. So I had developed, I guess, an original eye or I was born with it. Who knows? But anyway, I, I took, I began to take some remarkable pictures. So. And at what point did you realize that this was going to be this was going to be a job? This is what you do. You're a photographer. Well, I didn't. I, I consulted about that. I, I went through more art training, went to the uh, to Sarah Lawrence College, and I I more or less majored in art, including a studio course, art history, and so on. 
uh, I did photography. They didn't have a photography course. I sort of taught myself and called young beginning journalists that I knew to say, what happens now? I'm in the dark room and nothing's coming out. And they'd put me on the phone with, say, the uh, 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 some printer in the Time Life lab. And I'd say, what do I do? And they'd give me some instructions. They'd say, give it more time. <laughs> and so more light, more time. And so I kind of learned from people, books, experience, hit and miss. So I learned a lot of things. But I put it away. I went off to Yale, graduate school, after I graduated of art. And it was art and architecture, but it was art that I was studying. And I spent a year with a, a famous guy named Joseph Albers, who, who was a color person, uh, artist. And uh, then I didn't. Uh, I decided not to go back the second year, but to get out. The world made a portfolio and brought it to magazines on their portfolio day and said, "Could I'm thinking of becoming a photographer. Do you think I have a future? And two responded very, very much well, which was these two great taste makers in art at uh, Harper's Bazaar. And that was Alexei Brodovich, very famous, and uh, uh, Alex Lieberman at Vogue. And both asked me to come into their offices. And Alexa Bredovich, when I got there, they showed me layouts they had made in my pictures. They wanted to use them. They did end up publishing one. Wow. They often make layouts and don't use them. Mm. And the other one, again, had layouts made, and, and uh, but they didn't use them. But they each gave me assignments and uh, introduced me to their, their, their uh, main editor, their, their editor-in-chief. So we'd like to work with her. I got a few assignments, but I went around everywhere. Uh, places where I was rejected, uh, where I really w wanted to do reportage, was Life magazine. And that was, I, I finally, looking back, realized that's because they were very much a boys' club uh, okay. and didn't want to hire women. But Look was responsive. Look magazine existed then, and I did wonderful reportage for them. So it all began to work. There were some women there, and there was a good editor-in-chief who was sympathetic, just took people because they were good. So and, and, and also, I worked well with certain women editors there, and it worked out. And then, then everywhere I found women that were uh, women and men who were willing to give a young person. I didn't think it had much to do with women, but it had something to do with that. I'll tell you why I, I know that. Because I ended up with a collection of very women of great achievements, glass ceiling breakers, uh, such as Martha Stewart was a glass ceiling breaker, uh, uh, even though she's food. But, but the foot the door was... Uh, they gave soft news stuff to women, and the soft news was women, no matter what their achievement. So I was photographing the first woman on Wall Street to have a seat on the Wall Street Stock Exchange. That's Mickey Seibert, who became a friend. And uh, uh, the first woman to have the highest paid salary in advertising for and creating an agency. That's Barry Wells Lawrence, and so on. So suddenly... Years later, when Deirdre Brennan brought my, my pictures out of my cellar, she was being an archivist for me. Even though she was a New York Times photographer, she was a, on their Long Island beat. She, met, she moonlighted for me. 
And when she brought this stuff out, I realized I had this incredible archive on women breaking the mold. And uh, so so it wasn't bad being sort of get, getting the, 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 the less important news. And then, of course, when New York Magazine came along, I could write, photograph, do anything for them because— You carved out quite a niche. I'd carved out a niche, but then with New York Magazine, I could do almost anything I wanted. This was the new journalism— we women were were the new journal with the new journalism Tom Wolfe and so on. We women were welcomed, you know. If I could photograph, why not write? So I began to write as well as photograph, and we'd have meetings. So it was very free and open. We'd have I'd have meetings with the editor chief, give them a list of ten things that I observed. You know what would be of interest to them as a story. They'd back it, and off I'd go doing. Uh, 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 photojournalism, which is what I wanted to do. So uh, although the, the, the offers from the fashion magazines were great, and I did end up doing a lot of light, what they call lifestyle for the fashion magazines, just often was for another niche of society. <laughs> and you you photographed countless famous people. We As we were walking in, you, you oh, mentioned the, the John, John and Yoko picture, which featured in this paper, and you... Bono, Susan Sontag, so many different famous people. And I wonder, is there anyone that you missed a chance to photograph? Yes, Robert Redford. I would have had to go where it was very snowy in Switzerland and I was having a love affair in London and and his agent said, oh, would you like to go and you know, photograph uh, this young actor who's doing a ski movie. And I said, no, it's too cold. <laughs> so I missed him. <laughs> and have, you, have you got a favorite photograph of yours or a favorite series of photographs that you've taken? Um, is, it, is it possible to pick one? <laughs> uh, well, there are often such great stories that go along with it because it's just hard to do. I was thinking of, I don't know whether they they know of the big American football hero of J, Jimmy Brown, whose record still hasn't been beaten in, in, in the number of uh, uh, quarterback situations he was in I'm not so of. up on it, but, but anyway, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it took me two weeks to, to, uh, on location trying to find what might convince him to work with me and to let me take a hunk picture, which nobody thought of that word yet. But here was this guy who was built so beautifully, you know, the muscles and the, the, the abs and all of that. And I just thought it'd be a sensation, you know, but he looked very uh, uh, dangerous. He had a very angry look. And I thought, wow, that'd be so... And to get his shirt off, was very hard. You know, you'd think you could do anything to get that guy's shirt off, but no, it was very hard. Uh, I had to discuss uh, uh, black capitalism, which his concerns now were were on the highest level, and it turned out we were the only two grad, college graduates on this location. So I finally had to kind of work from, you know, that level of, uh, of so-called intellectual something or other pursuits down to now will you take your shirt off so I can get a picture of you as a hunk. <laughs> and he did it, I take it. I did, and it, it became a cover of uh, a fashion magazine of, of Queen Harper's Bazaar. It was a very uh, – he, he was looking very stern and angry and dangerous, 
and it was it was a good picture. So I that that was a nice story. Then then Yoko and John uh, again, uh, we had to sort of back off when I first met them. They were backing away, and so I suggested we meet tomorrow. They looked like they had many other things on their mind to do, and. I was here with a writer who wanted to go shopping because I also worked for Vogue and knew where we could shop on the King's Road and the latest things. So do you mind? Why don't we just cool it and, and you'll feel better tomorrow and we'll, we'll start fresh. And then John said to me, just a second, he went over to whisper to yoga and then they said, can we come along? <laughs> and then we just went shopping and then the next day everything opened up and we were good enough friends to try to do a story together. And then I got the first time bed shots of them. Amazing. And that's because we looked around. I, I try to cooperate with my subjects so that uh, we looked around the house to see what, where, what, and how we could make interesting pictures. I got them involved with, you know, if we get interesting pictures, we can get more pages. So, so we got to think and find interesting things to do that you generally do or that just get, you get inspired by. And John had a wonderful sense of humor so the first thing he did was to get into a bathtub with Yoko. They didn't have the water on. That was a little corny. But we got down to the bedroom, and I said, well, why don't you get into bed? I got into bed. <laughs> and the rest is history. You photographed lots of film sets, and one of them was Easy Rider in 1969. Can you tell me what that was like, what that, that experience? All right, I'll tell you how my relationship with it began. Uh, Harry Southern had given me told me that Dennis Hopper had a wonderful collection of uh, pop art. I should see it. He'd call Dennis and know I was coming so he could let me see it. I was going out there for look to photograph something else, uh, a swimming person and a mayor. And uh, so I called him, said, come right over. I came right over. He was walking out of the house. He'd been thrown out by his wife. Let's go down to the office. Peter's waiting. They were trying to get this uh, storyboard written. And it were really, we can't get the money. Bert Snyder said he'd give us a check as soon as we hand in a storyboard. And I knew Terry Southern was one of the right people were working on it. You know, what's holding it up? There must be, it sounds like a pretty simple movie to describe. It was a road movie. So uh, uh, we went down. There was Peter. And I said, well, wait a second. Maybe I could help you. Why don't you just give me a little, tell me the story in a conversational way. Tell me what it's, where you start, point A, and go down to point C. And let's see if, if we can't somehow get it done, and I'll take notes. Now, I started to write. And they, I said, wait a second. Have you got a tape recorder? They had one in a, in a desk. There was only one piece of furniture, a desk. Desk drawer, they pulled out the tape recorder. So we started taping. I kept them on track. We got done, played it back. It was terrific. It was, you know, point A to point B to point C, what might happen. And then uh, they said, oh, we can't find a typist. How can we get it to it? We can get the money right away, get started tomorrow, get a check. I said, you don't need it. Just take this tape recorder over to play it for him, and I, you'll come back with a check. Go. I was like a... You know, like 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 one of those sheep dogs herding sheep. I just pushed him around a little bit, and sure enough, he came back with a check. And this is get financing for the film. It was to finance the beginning of the film. That's amazing. So I was very helpful. They 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 
Uh, they owed you a favor then. They put me on salary and asked me to join the film. I didn't know as what. I thought as photographer. Mm-hmm. But um, – uh, I, I learned later that Dennis thought he could do everything because he himself was a photographer and he got jealous of somebody else doing that. In any event, I did come down and work with them on the cemetery scene which, and the, the, the behind the scene of that is some of my favorite work because it was so revealing about Peter and Dennis, their relationship and, and uh, uh, young people in general. It was just a wonderful scene. But towards the end of that, I found Dennis so difficult. He was drinking and Mm. God knows what else and very egocentric and very hard to work with. So, but uh, Peter, he he was doing so much for Peter and Peter was so helping Dennis so much, you know, sort of ignoring all sorts of betrayals uh, and, and, uh, Peter was 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 an angel. Dennis was a little devil. <laughs> <laughs> so, but overall, that was a good experience. It I guess it was. It, the pictures were wonderful. That was the good part. Yeah. Actually, it was frightening enough that I took it uh, uh, the first plane I could get one morning away from New Orleans, right. and I was scared. Okay. Because well, I, I was thought gonna... he was—he uh, hadn't done anything physically violent to me. Okay, but I just felt frightened, so I left. It was just a terrible atmosphere. No, Dennis was impossible. Okay, right. He was—he was, you know, he thought in order to get the actresses to perform as if they're like they're humiliated, that he had to personally humiliate them. Right. And uh, for me, he suddenly didn't want someone doing their work, their photography, when he's a photographer. And as the director, he wanted all concentration to be helping him, Mm. not doing what's in your imagination. And so did you photograph on film sets up until recent years? And, you know, did you see a big difference in how, I mean, Hollywood worked then and now? Um, With regards to that kind oh, of, now, of humiliation now of I'm the ne- actresses and things like that. I've never seen a director do that. Okay. Uh, but I have worked with Howard Hawks and with uh, many brilliant directors. And uh, uh, they usually uh, work in a very uh, cooperative way with their stars. So it's 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 different. You've produced work across lots of different publications we were talking about there, um, Vogue, New York Magazine, Newsweek, Vanity Fair, the works, basically. And over a 50-year period, how, what kind of trends did you see emerge in photography? I mean, I know you set trends yourself. (laughs) Well, this is a little egotistical, but many of the innovations I did are now standard. Like when I worked for House and Garden, I brought people into people and babies and children and dogs into the pictures. I brought food in. Um, with what I did, food, which was part of lifestyle, things that I got into it in a in a big enough way that People magazine or other ma- would call me. The regular news magazines would call me to take those stories because they felt I was now an expert and I. I didn't start out as an expert, but but I did try to 
I didn't like the look. I mean, Matisse has done food, so have Renaissance artists done food. And uh, the food photography at the time I was doing it was full of uh, big shadows so that it it looked very Renaissance and and in and and I began to light things in a way so that you saw the beautiful color of the food and uh, uh, and I would photograph real food very fast using strobe light but not use the strobe light to create three dimensions but to flatten the picture plane so it looked more like a Matisse or a Bernard painting than it looked like uh even an Irving Penn, it was different than Irving Penn, and it was different than um, uh, Renaissance paintings or, or Dutch Vermeer or mm. or any of the the uh, um, uh, Flemish school. So, uh, an advertising food looked as though it was waxed, and yeah. you know, it had face cream on it or something. It had, you know, it didn't look very Vaseline. It didn't look very appealing. But this didn't particularly look appealing as food, but it looked very attractive. So, and I see a lot of that now. So, you were a founding member of the Women's Forum, and you know, therefore, fought for women's rights in the sixties and seventies. And you count, I think, Betty Friedan and Gloria yeah, Steinman yeah. amongst colleagues and friends. So, what was it? What was that like? And how does it compare to modern feminism? I suppose. I think you modern women are doing a better job. <laughs> I mean, you're really out front. You're really pulling in masses of, of women of all stripe to be with you on, on things. And, and in my day, there were very few, and it was foolishly more elitist by that. There were professors and there were writers, uh, but they really didn't get uh, the working, the, the, the blue-collar working woman out or the housewives, or they they began to. It was new the concept of uh, work for women as being a right, and uh, and that you could be a mother and also a working woman, and also someone who wanted certain basic rights and respects equal pay and it's just so much more purposeful and bigger today now it's it's worldwide um uh when the women's forum formed because there was uh uh we wanted to be to have um women who were religious and women who weren't, who were more secular, and we wanted to have... They, they could not manage to get together on the issue of abortion, which, look, Ireland has gotten its women together to to make a stand. Mm. And the Women's Forum couldn't manage that with their elite networking women. Um, it... Uh, it's, I hardly acknowledge that I was a feminist. I thought, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just out there facing what anyone faces 
who's getting a job, a, a foot in the door. But there were these issues, and so I eventually did become stronger. And at first, I was sort of uh, more of a uh, uh, just a friend who was out there doing things, and we'd often do interesting things together, like Betty or Gloria or something. We'd be more on a social terms, and then I got into it more. But uh, I, I, had, I, I, I was under an illusion. Uh, today, I think everybody's much more aware of the realities in the marketplace and in life. Yeah, it wasn't easy to be a feminist then, I guess. But one would argue that it's really not easy to be a feminist in America today. Trump's America. Do you kind of despair for it in the era of Brett Kavanaugh and all yeah. that? <laughs> well, you know, uh, violence and rape. Violence Against Women, the time that the feminists were, well, there were little moves, like a very good friend of mine who's in my women's book was the first woman to be a producer, Audrey Gellin Moss. She did the first feminist movie called Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, about wife beating. Um it it was not brought out into broad daylight the way it is now. Um, all that went on, even probably worse. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe there there are good men and sadistic men, mm-hmm. monsters. I mean, I uh, it's I don't know what's going to happen, but I I think that the women today are doing an incredible job and 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 trying to uh um, deal with situations where there's lack of evidence it's very hard to uh have a case without evidence it does bring the issue forward but uh uh i think trump's america is going to lose out because of his attitude towards women mm. so well, I could stay talking to you about this kind of thing all day long, but you're here in Ireland because you have a new book, your latest photography book. It's called Ireland. So can I ask what an American woman sees in Ireland and uh, how the book came about? It's a very personal book. And very often the personal is as strong in giving you information about a place or people as... As uh, the sociologist, I'm thinking of Maya Antonia, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I did marry two Irishmen, uh, or one of Irish descent and one from Ireland. And you not certainly at the same make time, very, not at the same time. <laughs> and and they, they, they certainly were adorable, self deprecating, and, and funny, and, and, uh, 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 bright and and, and uh, attractive. So there's that. Uh, so and I did get here to beat them. But first of all, almost everyone I met in Ireland was very welcoming. And then when I went on this trip by myself on assignment by British Vogue, where I worked for a year, they just said, go to Ireland, do your impressions. And one, lead, one person's introduction led to another. 
And people were so interesting and so nice and so kind and uh, so that I just fell in love. And the countryside was so beautiful. Uh, whether it was covered in mist, was gray, or whether it was the, the, the beautiful music. But I met wonderful people, many of whom are in the book. I call it now a gaggle of Guinnesses. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of them. I have a few <laughs> Guinnesses there, but, but they're, they're a little like Kennedys, you know, yeah. in the United States. They're, they're, they're somewhat famous, some more than others, and they're all a little different, but try to do something and are, are used to being friendly. Somebody from that uh, that family uh, is Garrick Brown and you've pictures of him in the book at Logala Estate in Wicklow and um, I see he's reading the Irish Times in a couple of those pictures which is very good but uh, did you get to um, some of his legendary parties at Logala over the years and you'd like to tell us about those? <laughs> oh, well, the funny thing is my happiest times there were sitting around the, 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 the pine table in the kitchen with Garrick and uh, Roderick O'Connor making a chicken with 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 roast potatoes and and uh, John Borman who lives up the road who who uh, sitting there me and them and setting the ta- I'd set the table and 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 they do the cooking and then we'd open a bottle of wine and sit there and talk and eat this delicious freshly cooked food. Those were some of the most wonderful dinner parties I've ever been to, sitting in the kitchen around the table. I just enjoyed that a lot because Garrett could be absolutely interesting and charming and so on. And and so could everyone else at the table. And it was just friendly and nice. I loved having tea time, again, back in the kitchen. And generally, the, the dinners I was at were with... Uh, um, were low key, uh, not the big. I never was to dinner in the state dining room, which in my book just shows it with a a white cloth over the table. I just went around and took pictures of this beautiful place. But sometimes there was some celebrity there, you know. Like our last lunch did have Bono there, and um, uh, uh, some other very interesting people. Uh, but mostly. I was not there for the, the those grand parties, but it still was an absolutely wonderful place and exciting enough with the the small company and all of those books and 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 the discussions that would go on, which uh, could be about almost anything. There's a kind of a, an air of magic. Kind it, of oh, the place is it is magic. It is magic, and to look out the the windows and see a little herd of. Uh, uh, Asian uh, reindeer, <laughs> spotted reindeer or, or or deer, sort of galloping across, and uh, amazing trees and amazing light. I mean, Wicklow was so beautiful. Mm. Well, I was just going to ask you about the the Irish countryside because there are some gorgeous pictures of the Irish countryside in this book as well, and of horse fairs and of travellers. And what was it that you know? That was forty years ago, but but traveling around a bit now. I have seen similar things, except there is now color. People are painting houses brilliant colors, and it's lovely. It's a lovely addition uh, to my sense of a beautiful, a wonderful, small Irish town. Wicklow had some interesting painted houses and so on. Uh, and you still have, it's still an agricultural country with beautiful fields and cows and 
cheap and uh, 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 crumbling towers, remembrances from despite what has gone on during the the Celtic Tiger years, you know. Yes, many things might have been ruined, but not everything. There's still a lot there that is of the old Ireland. You can get to places quicker because we have bigger motorways crisscrossing the country, but you can still That's right. We had enough country roads getting down to (laughs) Kinsale and visiting. You know, it's, it's hard to drive those little country roads, but... If you go slow, you can. (laughs) It's still a very beautiful country. What's next for you? Are you still taking pictures? I don't see you as the shy, retiring type. No, you got it. I'm trying to take command of these computerized cameras, and I've just bought two very highly computerized, and they're rebelling. Before I even begin, they're rebelling. I have to learn how to... Take off their, t- take them off their protection mode, which is supposed to protect you from taking a bad picture. Oh. So it just beeps and buzzes at me when it thinks there's too slow a film speed, or I haven't got something in focus, and I don't care. You know, I'd rather have a half baked picture than a per- what they consider a perfect one. So I have to learn to command it. It's 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 being very. These cameras are being very rebellious, but I am. I am working with it, and I am continuing to photograph, and I intend to do my big book, which is the, uh, what is it called? What are we going to call it? The Body of Work, because uh, unlike a lot of I've done a great variety of style of, pic, uh, of pictures so that I'm not just a fa- – I did do some fashion. I'm not just a fashion. I'm not just a you know, photojournalist. I'm not just a food photographer or a, or, or a, a portrait or this or that. I just see where it leads me and what I do. So I'm very excited about the new photography and taking the whole body of work and putting it into different categories and and publishing my take on a particular uh, idiom of photography. So the next one's going to be called the body of work. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it was really, really nice to meet you. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Today. Thank you. That's all we have time for today. Thanks to Susan Wood for coming into the studio to speak to the women's podcast. She is some woman. Remember, you can subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and you can always find us among the other excellent Irish Times podcasts like Inside Politics and Worldview. They're all on irishtimes.com. Today's show was produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. Until next time, thank you for listening. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.